Welcome to Bliss Beyond Fear. Your hosts, Des, a transformational life coach, and Gina Marie, a personal development mentor, are here to help you have confidence, embrace your worth, and find your joy. Des and Gina Marie are fierce friends and lifestyle entrepreneurs that will encourage you to have faith, elevate your mindset, and take action so you can achieve the results you desire. They believe that an abundant life is sustained by overcoming your fears through creating a circle that elevates you and rises with you. Your blissful journey begins now. Welcome to to the Bliss Beyond Fear podcast. So uh, we are very excited because we are honored to be able to have um, Marlene Johnson here with us Mm -hmm. today. Marlene Johnson is an African-American artist whose work is centered on the notion of making the invisible visible through spoken word photography, and mosaic making. She uses these mediums to create spaces where she can foster critical dialogue with her audience around the challenging nature of a racial and gender inequality by awakening complex issues that many would prefer to remain mute. Her work addresses the small acts of racial and gender oppression that have become embedded within our culture today. Marlene earned a BA in psychology from Connecticut College and earned a master's of arts degree in art therapy from the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. Since graduating from SAIC, Marlene is committed to working in the fields related to youth development, leadership development, and community engagement, while simultaneously cultivating her art practice centered on eliminating gender-based violence against women and girls. Her experience facilitating social justice, person-centered, trauma-informed counseling services to adolescent female survivors of sexual violence. Welcome. Oh, that's a whole lot of a whole lot. (laughs) It is. And I think it's amazing because there is so much that we're going to be able to dive into as a result of the kinds of things that you do for women, for youth, in, I think, a really interesting direction, which is the arts and art therapy. So maybe, Marlene, why don't we start with your story? Yeah, what's the beginning? How did that happen? How did you get to this place where you are today? Because I know that's not what you said in kindergarten when they said, what do you want to be when you grow up? I'm going to be a mosaic maker. <laughs> <laughs> you all are incredible. Thank you so much for having me here today. I'm so um, just elated to be in community with you both. Um, and no, uh, I, this is not what I wanted to do or be when I was in kindergarten. I actually wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to be a pediatrician. <laughs> but then, you know, science <laughs> happened. Uh, and I realized that I didn't necessarily like it too much. So I shifted gears. But I think like, from an early age, I always knew that I wanted to be of service to people and find ways to do that. Um, and I, I feel really grateful because I've had um, a lot of opportunities to do that in a lot of different ways. And art is also one of the ways that I've done that. But yeah, I think art therapy is is a, not a very traditional path that a lot of people take. Um, it is something that's becoming more mainstreamed now. But for me, I mean, I'm someone who has 
experienced a lot of trauma, unfortunately, in my life. And I experienced trauma at a very early age, dating back to four years old. That was the first time that I've ever I experienced sexual violence. So I am a survivor of multiple um, forms of sexual violence. And, you know, I, I wrote my master's thesis on um, using uh, mosaics and using writing as a form to help, you know, survivors of sexual violence. And, and that process was actually really therapeutic for me to be one, to be able to reflect on those experiences and also talk to people in my community um, about, right, the earlier years of my life. Um, Like I remember talking to my grandmother and her being like, yeah, you know, there was a shift in you as a a young girl, right? Like you, you were weary around men, but we never knew, right? Like what to pinpoint, what, what was the occasion? What was the reason? for that and then to be able to go back and do that work and and understand right that that shift was because i was experiencing i was a survivor of childhood abuse and the people in my community weren't able to recognize that and so i think and my grandmother was like you didn't talk a lot but you wrote um and so from a very early age like i think i used imagery and i used writing as a way to try to process the world around me which, you know, is, is, is really hard to do as a young person. And it's work that I've been doing for a really long time. Um, and then when I was in college, I was actually studying abroad and I was telling someone about my interest. I was like, you know, I'm pretty sure I want to be a therapist. I want, I'm good with people. I love people. I love hearing their stories. Um, but I also had art. Like I loved to create any kind of art there was. I would, I would try it even if I wasn't good at it. I would just want to explore and I remember having a conversation with a young woman. She was like, there's this thing, art therapy. And th- like a light bulb went off. And so whenever, you know, people ask me what it is, I'm like, if art and therapy had a baby, um, <laughs> that is what it would be, right? So moving away from traditional talk therapy and then incorporating art making into the therapeutic process. And so that's a little bit of my journey. But, you know, I think for me, it, it was birthed out of trauma. Um, and since then, right, like, I have, I still, you know, I guess I want to say like being a childhood survivor was, that was just the beginning, right? I've experienced so many other things that have impacted and shaped who I am as an individual. I'm also a survivor of college sexual assault. I was sexually assaulted during spring break and I'm a survivor of like relocation. I lost my mother in a car accident. And so I think about all of these things in my life, right, that were really transformative and and really hard. And at each moment and each juncture, I turned to art. And so I think that that was something that I was like, I I was able to use this to help me. And I know that it's beneficial. And so how can I do that? And how can I be of service to other people in in the moments when they're in need? How old were you when your your mom um, was killed in the car accident? Uh, I was 24. I was 24. Um, And uh, that was a really devastating time. I mean, my mom and I didn't have the best relationship, um, partly because she suffered from substance use, right? So that was another element of the things in my writing that I was trying to process and work through was like just the difficulty of having a parent that was there, but not really there, not necessarily present. Um, And so I think that was also another outlet for me to be able to like write about what does it mean, you know, to have a mom that chooses drugs over you. Um, which is really, which is really devastating. And so I think when I think of back on my relationship with my mom it was very tumultuous. Also, 
Um, and I talk about this in my master's thesis too. I blamed her, especially like very early on because like my first perpetrator was, was her boyfriend, right? And so there was this lack of like understanding around like if you might've been in a different space, would this have happened to me, right? Like would my trajectory look and feel different? And so for a really long time, I had this, um, yeah, this looks like, you know, love, hate, very tumultuous relationship with my mom because uh, I associated the things that happened to me at a, at a young age directly to her drug use. Being the person I am now, right? Being able to step back and step out of that, I know that like that person's choices was that person's choices and it had nothing to do with my mom's drug use. But as a young person, I didn't necessarily have that perspective. But, you know, it was, so my mom passing was very difficult because of the fact that um, it was very sudden. And I think that like my family in our minds, right? We had made up, we had, we had already thought like our mom's gonna go to drugs. Like that's just, you know, like I feel like if you have someone who's been an addict for, for 30 years, you kind of, it was almost expected. Um, and so then for my mom to pass away in a car accident, um, she was actually picking my younger sister up from college on winter break. And there was a person who was fleeing the police and they crossed over the highway until, you know, oncoming traffic and, and crashed into my family's car. And that moment was just very hard for my family because it was like, it, that was one of the moments where she was exactly where she was supposed to be, right? Like as a parent going to, to bring your, your daughter home from, from college mm. the break. Um, and so it was really tough losing her in that way, but I, I'm also in some ways, like, I think it brings me a lot of peace knowing that that wasn't like drugs, wasn't the way she succumbed. Um, like her life was ended. It was, it was in a different kind of way. Um, so how many in your family? Uh, yeah, I'm a middle child of five. So I have, I have two older brothers and then I have two younger sisters. So I'm the, the oldest girl. And, and were you singled out? from the perpetrator um, when you were four or um, well, you know, your younger that, siblings weren't born yet. Right. Or uh, no, at that time, my, uh, one, my sister Rolanda, she's four years younger than me. So at that point in time, like I was the, the youngest child in the house. And then my oldest brother, Alan, he's about uh, nine years older than mm-hmm. me. And so, you know, he was kind of at that age, he was, in and out of the house. He was around, but he, you know, he wasn't around because he was with his friends or outside. Um, and so I do think that there, you know, there was a level of vulnerability being a young girl, being in, in a home um, that that person took advantage of. And you, and, and I'm, what comes to my mind is thinking that like, you don't have anybody that can relate to your experience within, you know, your surroundings, right? It's not like you could say to your sibling or, you know, have anybody as a little person. I mean, you were four when this happened. Yeah. 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 And I, and also you just don't know, right? Like at that point you, you hadn't learned about anatomy, right? Like you hadn't learned about like safe and unsafe touch. You hadn't learned about these things. And I think like, you know, when we talk about sexual violence, it's about like power over, right. And people taking advantage and that individual definitely took advantage of the fact that like, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have language. I wouldn't have understanding. Right. Um, especially with children. He's like, this is a game, right. We're going to play a game. Um, and, and you think like, okay, well, this is an adult. This is a person. This is someone that people trust. Why wouldn't I listen to them? And also you're told, right. Listen to adults when they tell you to do something, do it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you have that messaging as a young person, um, and you, and you follow along and it's not until later when you're like, 
that happened. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that happened or that didn't make me feel good or that made me uncomfortable. Um, Yeah. So how old were you before that came out then? Yeah, I didn't tell. I was, uh, I was 16 years old when I first told my grandmother. So 12 years later. 12 years. And was he still in your lives? That, you know, I have I have a really untraditional family story, actually. So I was born, I was born in Washington, D.C., and my mom suffered from substance use. And my grandmother, she actually, you know, kind of stepped in and raised my mom's five kids. So she was our primary caregiver. But my grandmother has a lot of health, health issues, as does, you know, a lot of older, you know, older Black people, diabetes, heart issues. Um, and so she was in and out of the hospital, my grandmother was. And there was a point in time where she went into the to, into the hospital and they said, hey, um, you got about six months to live. So you might want to start making plans for, you know, who's going to take care of your grandkids because it's not it's not it's not looking good. And so my grandmother did just that. She started reaching out to sibling uh, her her siblings, my mom's siblings to say, like, who can who can step up, who can be a part of this tribe to help raise these children. And um, my grandmother actually took custody of my mom's five kids. Um, so she, she took my mom to court. And the lawyer, actually, the lawyer who helped my grandmother get custody of us became a really close friend of the family. And um, she reached out to him and she said, hey, you know, I'm in this situation. Will you help? And he said, sure. But then he relocated to Chicago and he said, yeah, I can help out. I can raise them. But if I do, they have to move to Chicago. So when I was nine years old and my brother, Vincent, when he was 10 years old, we relocated to Chicago. And that in and of itself was a really big change. My grandmother said, hey, you're going on a vacation, (laughs) you know, pack a bag. Um, In your mind, a vacation has a start and an end date. um, But that was not the case for us. We we moved to Chicago. And then, you know, to add another layer onto that, he was a white man. Right. So this white 33 year old Caucasian male has just embarked on and agreed to raised two African-American children from D.C. Wow. So much. You are so strong. Yeah. I'm just, I'm I'm sitting here thinking about resilience. Exactly. Which is huge. Thank you for being so brave for sharing your story. And, and it's so, it's so So beautiful to see, you know, the beauty come out of all of this. I think about being an artist. My husband was an artist and um, all of my children have a creative thread, all of them in all different aspects of the arts, whether it's hair, doing hair or um, sculpting and molding. Sculpting or, cardboard. I mean, it's, or stop. <laughs> yeah. Cece will do cardboard therapy. Um, but they all really have a creative outlet and to be able to, I don't know, I'm just wondering, I'm, but I'm thinking to myself, to be able to have something so icky inside of you, feelings, you know, to come out and like create something beautiful has to be very therapeutic. When I first thought of this, and it was, you know, we were talking about interviewing you and we met you and everything, I was thinking to myself, I remember when the girls, the first therapist that we went to, she had everybody draw a picture of their heart, hmm, which was really good because Cece at the time was six. And then they all drew pictures and told why, why the pictures were drawn the way they were hmm. and yeah. and everything. Yeah. 
That's some, interesting. Yeah, it really is. It was really and and with my girls being very um, creative anyway, yeah. it was it was a great way to just kind of start dialogue. So in your what what is it like for you then for helping people? So that's your background. Mm-hmm. You definitely can relate to traumas and what it's like to overcome. What it, how do you use that to help them process it? What does that look like? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a really great question. I I think first and foremost, like you know, I I think I think about the trajectory of my life. I think about all of the things that I have, you know, overcome in my short life, because I'm 29, I'm 30 tomorrow. So tomorrow, <laughs> yeah. so we've, we've got all kinds of things to talk about here, including a birthday celebration. <laughs> um, but I think that there, there was this, it was in my 20s. And I want I attribute so much of who I am um, as, a, as an artist, as an activist to an organization, um, a long walk home, I worked there when I was in graduate school and and after. They use art to end violence against women and girls. Um, And that's where doing that work and being in community with them is really where I I gained my traction um, as an artist and as a feminist. And so much of that work that you're talking about was about empowerment, right? Like allowing people to one, be able to reauthor their stories, reauthor their narratives of trauma you were talking about, right, the beauty of things that are so broken, that that was pretty much, right, the the impetus of my master's thesis, creating wholeness out of brokenness, right, creating a new normal out of the, the circumstances that I had been existing and living in. And I think that that was something that I was really passionate about, like, how can I help people reauthor, create new new normal, new wholeness in ways that are, feel comfortable, feel safe, feel inviting, to them, and that was through through art and all all types of art, right? Like I identify as a poet and a mosaic artist, and I you know I minored in photography in in undergrad, so it's not so I don't do it so much now. I think writing it and uh, mosaics are the art forms that I uh, do most regularly. But to be able to one explore <laughs> with material um, to try to figure out what what is going to be the vehicle. To, to reach this person because, you know, every, I, I hear all the time, I'm not an artist, right? Or, or I can't do that. I can't draw. And I, and I love to be able to, to rethink how we define art. And I think A Long Walk Home also helped in that, right? Like thinking about culturally responsive art. You said, you know, you were like beauticians. You know, we had girls in our program who were like, I, I'm a hair braider, right? I, I do nails. I do makeup. I'm a chef, right? I like to mm-hmm. bake. Um, and so I think that that was also something that was so powerful is like, how are we thinking about culturally relevant art practices that are within the communities that we serve and, and, and using those as a way to empower them to talk about um, and cre- ultimately create change. So I love cool. the word that you use reauthor. Mm. I love that because we often talk about everyone has a story. Everyone has a purpose. You're, you're the owner of that story and you you shape that right and people often it's natural it's normal it's a psychological process get attached to an old story you know there's there's an attachment there to this is who I am because this is what happened to me 
and there's an identity association with that. And I think it's something that we can get stuck in, you know, and for you to use therapy in a way that has allowed you to work through trauma and reauthor your life and turn things into empowerment is amazing. And I love the symbolism of mosaics, broken, broken glass, broken, you know, broken bits put together and making a beautiful something out of that brokenness. Oh, I love that so much. Mm -hmm. Gina Marie and I are so excited to announce that we are on the board for WO3. What is WO3, you ask? I will tell you. WO3 is a grassroots movement dedicated to supporting women-owned businesses in three ways. Partner, promote, and support. Our goal is to create an annual movement on March 27th, 2021, to raise awareness of female-owned businesses and inspire women to look for opportunities to support her all year round. There's evidence that shows that when we support women-owned businesses, we're increasing economic stability in the families and communities they live in. Sign up today at wo3connect.com. Join us in the WO3 movement. So my question was, what are you most passionate about? Because there's a lot of different things that you do. And I'm just curious of all of that. What is the thing that lights you on fire the most and the kind of impact that you have on the people that you work with? Yeah. So I think, I mean, I don't think I know. I I know I'm most passionate about, um, you know, gender-based violence doing that, that type of work. I think, um, there is such a beauty um, in in creating community and and letting people know that they don't have to suffer alone. Um, when I think about you know us as human beings, we are all we're all carrying something, right? And there's so many of identities that we we can see. Um, you know, like people look at me and they automatically say, "Okay, black woman, cisgendered, whatever." But the identity of survivor is something that like you don't necessarily, when you look at me, that's not something that you see, um, but that's something that I carry every single day. And it's definitely shaped how I exist and how I move in the world. Um, and, you know, I think about some of the relationships and intimacy and things that I've had to work through because of the identity I, I hold as a survivor. And so I know very much that um, that that is something that I'm so passionate about. Um, and ultimately, I'm not working in um, anti-violence work right now, but I know that that's a field that I'll go back to because it is, you know, I, I get fired up. Like I, you know, I get, I get one, I get excited about the possibility. I know right now in a the world, there's a lot of movement around, you know, the Me Too movement and people coming forth and people feeling empowered to, to share their testimony. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that brings me a lot of joy because it, it is something that isn't talked about as much, but we know, um, that it, you know, it is, an epidemic. We know that it's happening. The numbers are there. Well, you know, what would you tell the person right now that might be suffering in silence? Where where does that person begin on their journey to healing and finding community like you talked about? 
Oh, that's 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 a really great question. I mean, I think that the thing that I would first say is that, like, you know, I believe you, right? Because let's just start there. Um, and, and I'm so sorry that that happened to you, and that is an experience that I wouldn't wish on anyone. Um, and that you're not alone, right? There are so many people. Um, one in four. We know the statistics. You walk into a room, you're bound to find another survivor there. Um, and so I think that that's what where I would start. Um, and for me, and I know that this isn't the case for everyone, um, as I began to heal as soon as I started to talk about it, as soon as I started to, to share, um, my, my testimony with other people. And that, that's, that's really hard. Um, and so I think like trying, you know, I, I think it's hard. I think people, depending, I, you know, I would want to talk to that person on an individual level. I'd be like, come find me. I, you know, like I will chat with you. I'll talk with you. Cause I think that there's so many different ways, right. To, to begin. Um, and it, it doesn't look the same for everyone. Um, for me, I began just writing and, and not necessarily um, about specifically about my trauma, but just writing what my lived experience was. And then that, you know, correlated with what my trauma is later in life. I went to therapy. I didn't start going to therapy until I was 17. At that point I had had so many different experiences that I had to unpack and, and talk about. Um, but writing was the vehicle that I was able to like, you know, I brought some of those writings to my therapy session and I was like reading and sharing with my therapist. Um, so I was kind of, you know, do, doing art therapy and this was traditional talk therapy. That wasn't, um, an art therapist at the time, but I was doing those things very early on. But yeah, I think that like, I mean, I'm, I went to school for therapy. I'm an advocate for therapy. So I definitely believe in it. I believe in the, you know, the work it is work though. Um, and you have to be ready to do it because it's not easy. And so I think there's a couple things like one, if you are, you know, ready to talk about it, talk about it. But I think that it's hard, right? We live in a society that that victim blames. We live we live in a society that is so quick to say, well, what was your role in the thing that happened to you versus saying, like, I'm, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. So when you think about live, you know, we live in a world that where it makes it extremely hard to, to report sexual violence because one, you go to these places, hospitals, police stations, and you're re-traumatized for that experience. And so there, it, it's so nuanced when we say, where do we begin? Because there are so many different barriers for people to begin to heal. And, I, you know, I think like if someone's looking for something that they can do interpersonally or on their own, grab a journal, start documenting, start writing those things down. Um, if there's someone that you, in your life that you feel close to that you can confide in and you, and you believe that they'll be able to hold that story for you, you know, start, start there. For me, I started with my grandmother, right? I started with the person who said, I saw something, but I wasn't sure, right? Um, and then, and you know, and then there's a lot in that too. I think the adults in my life kind of questioned, well, why didn't we know? you know, and, 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 it, and then it becomes about them. So I think, you know, being, being strategic about who you tell so that they can, they can hold you in that moment and really sit with what they're telling you and, you know, making sure that they're ready to receive that. Um, me and my friends, we, we're always like, Hey, we, we, we check in, like, are you in a space to hold this for me? Because again, right. Like we, we don't always, you're, you're, sometimes you're at capacity and sometimes you, you won't be able to care for that person in the way that they need um, and, and that's okay. Right. But just being able to say, check in with that person, um, beforehand. 
I think it's 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 so helpful because when you go through something difficult, which as you said, many of us have, and that trauma could look different. And just feeling like there is a place to start, even if it is with your own thoughts and your processes with it before you feel comfortable opening up. I love being able to have that option journaling and reflecting and processing your own feelings because it's it's a lot to bear let alone to then feel like you're going to share something that's so personal and so intimate with other people but when you do it's such a lightening of your load you know when you can come to that safe place and they and they are in a space where they can help you, you know, hold that with you, you know, mm-hmm. it's just such an amazing feeling. And um, I would encourage everybody to make that step, you know, yeah, bring that to light. Um, wow, so much. So, you know, as a mom of eight daughters, I've always tried to protect my girls from that. And when Jeff was alive, we were very efficient with it. And then (laughs) now as you know, I don't have, you know, I'm a single mom. And so we had precautions that we set up, right? Like, you know, um, the girls were never able to spend the night in anybody's house that had a, um, a boy there that was 12 or over. And I never let the girls drive in cars alone with men. I mean, I did what I could on my end, you know, was uh, we were always very involved with the kids and they were they were homeschooled They, you know, they were they were um, very much protected. And then when Jeff passed away, it was like, oh, and, and I'm dating somebody now. So now there goes that, you know, Um Wes even just texted me and said, hey, you know, if you need me to come pick up Cece, which I might have him do because she's freaking out that she's out of Internet now. <laughs> oh, boy. She's here. He was like, I'll come pick you up. Well, that was our rule. We never had any guy take any of the kids alone until until Wes. Wes has been the first person that we do that, you know. And, you know, I early on had had a talk with the girls and said, I, you know, and my girls are older too. They're like, you know, 15 and well, Brielle will be 15 and Cece just turned 10. So they're old enough to understand and, and me ask and tell them, I still worry that they, you know, how many times do you know better and you don't do the right thing? Yeah. You know, in that moment, you know, you can, you can tell them all you want. You can be, you you know, you can be um, trained, you can be educated. And in that moment, just be like, I just didn't even realize what happened, you know, Mm -hmm. or how can they defend themselves against, I mean, a big person and, and a little person. It's, it's a scary thing. I mean, do you have any advice for anybody to be proactive with their, their children in that area? I think that's a really great question. I mean, I think part of it, um, you know, it was so interesting because, I mean, my my upbringing, you know, I shifted from being raised by my grandmother to being raised by by my my guardian, my dad Brian, and so I think that there was a there was a there's missed opportunities, right? Because I didn't really have anybody talking to me about relationships, talking to me about sex, talking to me about consent, um, talking to me about all those things that were 
really important about healthy and unhealthy relationships. What are the signs? What are the things that I should be looking out for? Um, and so for me, I, you know, I think, and even now, like we uh, just realized that there's some health issues coming up in my family. And we were like, you know, we don't, we didn't talk. We never talked about these things. Um, and so now we're trying to break generational patterns and be more intentional about the conversations that we're having. And, and they are difficult, right? They are difficult to say, like, it's a really scary world out there. And these are all the possibilities. But I just want you to, you know, be, be mindful, be aware um, and have these things, right, tools in, in your back pocket. So, I, you know, I think about when we were working with uh, the adolescent girls at a long walk home, what were, so what were some of the things that we were talking to them about? And it was those things. It was like, what is consent? How we're defining, how we're defining it? What are signs of a healthy and unhealthy relationship? You know, and that's not just physical abuse, that's emotional abuse, it's financial abuse, right? All of these different factors. That's maybe someone who's trying to alienate you, right? And make, make you their sole person and cut you off from your community and your um, the people, your family, your friends, and giving them that information so that they know what to look out for. That was also, you know, having them go to self-defense classes and learning some of the basics. So, you know, if someone ever grabbed you or if you were in this, you know, situation, you, you have some sort of idea what to do. Um, so I think there's that. I also think that there is this, and this is something that I'm really passionate about, this idea of collective and community accountability, right? Like I think so oftentimes, I don't know how many times I was on the, you know, the CTA and being harassed by someone, by a gentleman on, on the train, um, and nobody said anything, right? No, no one intervened, no one stepped up, no one acknowledged, right, the thing that was happening to me. And, and, you know, my, I questioned why do you think that is, uh, you know, I mean, I think like there's a bystander effect, right? Like somebody else is going to do it. Uh, somebody else is going to intervene. Um, you think maybe it's an element of, uh, it's not that bad, right? It's not that bad. That's not my issue. Right. Um, but I, you know, I think that that's also a part of the conversation that we have to be having when we're talking about prevention when we're talking about awareness it's not only like the things that are happening to you but the people around you and how we are also contributing to making right this world safer better um for for other individuals yeah i i love that as a a mechanism to close the well, the gap if you will the kinds of things that we see because inequality is still a thing and uh, not not speaking up, you know, it's been an interesting past year <laughs> that we've had that we've seen in 2020. We want to just pretend that it was an anomaly and we can <laughs> move on. But I think it's taught us a lot about how much room there is for us to grow. And you're actually putting strategies and actions and tactics that are practical to help that, which I think is, is so much of what I feel I'm learning through this, through this dialogue is we can have a role because I think that's, that's another role, right? If you, how do you engage and show up for a survivor? You know, we had a, a, a friend on the show, Ashley Baxter, who shared her story of trauma. And that is part of the, the learning process, right? Is how, how do people show up around you? And I think, you know, like you said, the first thing is, I believe you and I'm sorry, 
People, you know, it, it's very interesting. People don't know what to say in trauma situations. They really have a hard time. I miscarried a baby. Oh, well, at least you have two others. You know, um, I, you know, I miscarried a baby. Oh, well, you know, must not have been meant to be then. <laughs> there wasn't a purpose for my child. You know, you know, they don't, I think. And it's not malintentioned. No, yeah. I was going to say their heart is in the place to where yeah. they just want, okay, well, yeah, yeah, don't cry. Don't cry. Don't, 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 don't. It makes people uncomfortable yeah. to see people uncomfortable. And I know that, um, you know, within, within our tribe and our clients, we're always trying to say, that's okay to feel that. It's okay. Don't resist that fear. Yeah. Let's, you know, let's just kind of explore that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Let's not just, you know. Well, it's a part of the process. And, and then you start feeling comfortable with it, right? Well, if you, because if you're going to heal, you have to feel. Yeah, you have to sit in the distance. Ooh, and it rhymed. <laughs> I mean, that just happened. Uh, that but just I would also, happened. like, I think that one of the things you were talking about is, like, how it makes that individual feel, right? Like, they're projecting, oh, this person might feel um, uncomfortable, right? And and I think oftentimes I encourage people, I'm like, okay, well, what 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 is coming up for you? Um, and and why is that? Because I can I can, you know, I talk about my survivorship all the time. It's something that like I'm very vocal about. Um, I tell people that I live and exist from a place of radical vulnerability. Like that is how I I, you know, that's the impact that I want to leave is like. I'm going to share and I'm going to tell and it might be uncomfortable and I might be uncomfortable, um, but I'm going to work through that because I know that like these stories are important. Um, but I, you know, I definitely encourage people to be introspective and reflective and like, you know, what, why is this making you uncomfortable? What is that rooted in? Right. Is it because you don't know what to say? Um, is, is, it be, is it connected to something else? Um, I think that those questions are equally as, as important to be asking as well. They do, and people do do that. They 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 project what they're feeling onto you, mm-hmm. um, or their discomfort, or their lack mm-hmm. of knowledge. So you're just filling in space, yeah, not knowing what to say. Yeah, you know. Th- so there's a lot of reasons why somebody might want to reach out to you. That's listening, and um, we would love for you to be able to just take a minute and share. If someone's listening and they're maybe they're a survivor, maybe they're looking at therapy as a possible option. Maybe they're just looking for different ways, you know, for healing and alternative things. What, how, how would somebody reach you and connect with you? Uh, I am on Instagram. I have multiple accounts. Um, I have just like my personal account where I talk more about my journey, my survivorship. And so that is Marley, M-A-R-L-Y-J-10. Um, and then there's my like artist account where I post more about just like my mosaics and, uh, you know, the things that I'm doing, community projects that I'm doing, which is Marley, M-A-R-L-Y underscore creations. But then I also have a website, um, which is just my first and last name. But so Marlene, M-A-R-L-I-N-E-S Johnson. Um, and then I have it set up where you can contact me there as well. That's Awesome. And Des will put that in our show notes as well. So people will be able to reach you because even just following your work and being able to see the outcomes and the impact of the kinds of things you do, it's, it's very inspirational. It's heartwarming to be able to hear a story that 
had pain that you turned into purpose and that you turned into beauty and that you turned to empowerment. That's the biggest thing. I, I just think that's such um, an amazing thing mm -hmm. to give back in that way to the community. So we asked you, you know, this, this was a deep conversation. There was a, there was a lot of feels going on and we like to make sure that we have the spirit of fun and so we, we, we always throw in a little bit of fun at the end because without that, you know, laughter is the best medicine, there you right? Go. Things there you like go. that. And so, so I can, I can start first with my question. Yep. So Gina Marie has a question and then I'll, oh. I'll have a question. <laughs> mm -hmm. Are you ready? So if a Lifetime movie was made of you, what actress would you choose to play your part and why? Oh, that's so tough. <laughs> I think about this all the time. One, because like my friends are like, you should write a book. And I'm like, okay. You should. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Oh. I agree with them. <laughs> um, and I'm like, that, that's a huge feat. There's so many incredible uh, actresses out there. Um, I mean, some of my favorites are, um, I mean, like, you know, Carrie Washington, Gabrielle Union. I mean, I definitely, Sanaa Latham. Uh, Angela Bassett, right? I mean, I just it, like whoever it is, I just wanted to be a powerhouse um, because those are some of the the people that I I just really love seeing on screen. But I I think truly like I think I said Gabrielle Union one because like she she's a survivor and she openly talked about being a survivor and and that's one of the things that I really like about her as an individual. Like she was so open about so many of the things that she went through, like with all of her miscarriages and having to do surrogacy and and all of those things. And I just love how she um, is using her platform to to talk about some of those issues. Um, and so I think I might lean towards her because I do feel an affinity to to who she is and how she's existing in the world. That is a go. fabulous choice. Love it. I see the alignment there. Okay, my question for you, I don't know yet because it's a the bonus it's blissful. The, that's right. Question here. So you pick a number between one and twenty, and then that determines the question that I ask you. Oh, okay. Um, well, one of my best friends, her favorite number is seven, so I'm gonna go with seven. Seven. Ooh, okay. I love it. If you were a wrestler, what would be your entrance theme song? Oh, uh, wow. Okay. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. Um, Do you have a song that you, that like represents who you are, that you're like, that's my song. That would be my entrance. That, um, I'm, let me see if I can find it there. I think this, there's a song, uh, you know, I mean, I'm all about, I'm all about healing. So <laughs> like, it'll probably be, um, yeah. I was thinking Destiny's Child Survivor. That was ooh, one that's that came a good to my one. mind because it's kind of upbeat, you yeah. know, and then you'd be dancing when you come in and everything. I actually love that. I love, yeah. And I, you know, I'm a huge Destiny Child fan, so. Right. I just pictured that. It just came to me. So no, I love that. that I mean, if I was a wrestler, if I was a wrestler, <laughs> right? like, you know, because you just wake up and think about that sometimes, <laughs> right? Every now and then, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. there you go. I love that. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being radically vulnerable yes. here. 
um, living in your purpose and changing lives. We appreciate you so much. You certainly and, inspired um, us and, today. And I love that um, we, we're, you know, able to highlight you and be able to promote what you do and connect you with people to to help. And I know that's going to be a great thing. I appreciate you so much. Thank you so much for coming today. No, thank thank you so much for having me. I know that we, you know, had some some tech issues and some oh, man. but I think um I'm actually I'm I'm glad that it's today, as I, I mentioned earlier. Um tomorrow's my birthday. So I know beautiful oh. way to be closing out my twenties. Um yeah. she's turning thirty. Oh. I freaked out about being thirty. How are you feeling about turning thirty? I'm excited. I feel like I'm I'm, re- I'm really excited. I know some people have a love-hate relationship with 30. I mean, my friends have been saying that I've been acting 30 since I was like 22. So I also think that there's, <laughs> there's an element of that too, where I'm like, okay. Uh, but I think there's a lot of possibilities. 2020 was hard for a lot of reasons. And I feel like I did a lot of interpersonal work. And so I'm, I'm excited to see the seeds that I, that I planted last year come, come to bloom. That's so great. And they just will because you you have a presence and an aura Mm -hmm. about you that that carries the spirit of continual growth. So there's going to be a lot of blooming, girl, in your 30s. It's going to be amazing. I loved it. I just, you know, and I was I did freak out going going into it, partly because, you know, there comes a time when you stop people stop asking you how old you are. You know, like when you're a little kid, how old are you? How old are you? How old are you? That's that's like a common question, like right. the weather, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then you get in your 20s and, and they know you're old enough to drink. And, and then they st- just stop asking, how old are you? How old are you? And I forgot how old I was. My husband was doing taxes and he was like, what year are you born? And, and then we put it together and, and, and he's like, you're going to be 30 this year. I'm like, no, I'm not. Do the math. And then I did the math. And yeah, I was. And I felt like a year was robbed for me. And then I was like, <gasps> 30. I was, you know, just freaking out. And man, I rocked 30. It's awesome. I, you know, you you get to a place where it's like in your 20s, you don't even really pay attention to who you are. In your 30s, you get to a point to where it's like you're more confident in who you are. Oh, 100%. In your, in your 40s, you know, you, you make a stand for who you are. Yeah. And I feel like in your 50s, you just own it. really bloom into who you, who you are. You just own it. So what's 60 going to be like? Whoa! It just gets keeps getting I'm better excited. and better. Yeah. Yeah. If you ever listen to Oprah's talk, she, you know, she did this big talk and, and she talks about that, that whole process that you go through. And it's an, you know, to me, if I had to summarize it, it's an embracing and just truly believing in who you are and who you're meant to be and being unapologetic, you know, about it as you continue to grow. So it's, I I do think it's very exciting and happy birthday. Happy birthday. Thank you. I hope that you're doing something super awesome to celebrate, even though it's pandemic and it's blah, 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 you know, all that. Do you have any plans? We're we're in the midst of a, you know, a a snowstorm. We got like, like so many inches over the weekend. So there are just, so you got a Netflix special going yeah. on. You know, I have such a beautiful tribe, such a beautiful community. People have been just dropping things off and, and sending me things. And um, I, I'm so grateful. I, I'll be doing a small dinner with my brother and my sister-in-law. Um, you know, I'd rather be I'm an extrovert and I have a lot of friends, so, so I'd rather be celebrating in, in, you know, in a larger way, but I'm, I'm just grateful. I mean, I, 
I also think about last year, so many people passed away last year. There was a lot of loss. And so this birthday feels very different in the sense that like, I'm just, I'm just grateful to be able to see another year. So in any way that, you know, people show up and show love, it'll be appreciated. Well, we're certainly grateful for you being on the show. We're grateful for all the people that make this happen because it means a lot for us to be able to continue bringing inspirational content to the folks who come every week to listen to us. So thank you to Ben and Rockwood Audio for your magical things that you do. Thank you to Aaron for the video side of things and making magic in that way. And thank you to all of you. And with that, may your faith be greater than your fears. And remember, you are your only limit. So take action today. Thanks for listening to the Bliss Beyond Fear podcast.